Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. We are making our much-anticipated, well, maybe not much-anticipated, but our return to the airwaves. We hope you're having a warm and cozy start to your winter. Eric Nemchak here alongside Stephen Drinkwald. Stephen, how are we holding up? Doing great. Happy to be recording again. I feel like very, every very time we talk, we're, we're coming off uh, the longest break we've ever had, but hey. That such is the nature of uh, having lives outside of podcasting. The nature of, yeah. Anyway, uh, we're doing one of our favorite exercises here, something we do every year. It is the uh, 25 players, top 25 players under 25 years old. Uh, Stephen, would you mind kind of introducing this for us? Yeah, this is our third year doing this, amazingly enough. And right off the top, this is not necessarily a list of who the best players are today. You know, if you are playing in a five-game playoff series and, and you know, winning that series is kind of the most important thing. I think that list probably looks maybe not too much different, but a little bit different than the lists we put together. We are baking in a little bit of future development and growth. So if we are kind of like building a team for the next three, five, eight years or so, more so than, you know, just winning basketball games today. Uh, and as you said, these are players who have not yet had their age 25 season per basketball reference. So, uh, we'll have a couple players all the way back to the 2019 draft who, you know, are maybe a little bit older, you know, maybe just a couple days away from uh, not qualifying for this list anymore. But hey, it's the easiest cutoff we have. So that, that's what we're using. And I think it would be good to just kind of talk about who is not in consideration for this list. First, after a few years of baking her into this uh, exercise, we took Maria Vadiva out. We're not considering her, you know, it's been... Basically, she just hasn't played enough. Yeah, three full seasons since she's come over to the WNBA. Hopefully she is back sooner rather than later, but it's been a while at this point. We are also not going to include Sika Kone, Niara Sabali, Jade Melbourne, recent WNBA draft picks who just haven't played in the WNBA yet. Hopefully they will, at least some of them, be on this exercise if we do it a year from now. But I think you agree with me, Eric. It was just kind of, it would have been weird to kind of bake them in. We, we didn't include Sabrina after her quote-unquote rookie season when we did this because there just wasn't the sample size. Right. I feel like these players are it's kind of the same thing. Granted, uh, for some of the players, I think probably towards the end of our lists, there aren't going to be large sample sizes either, but we got to cut it off somewhere. And a sample size of zero WNBA minutes, I think, is a good cutoff point. Um, also, some notable names that are graduating because they got old, sad. Uh, Asia Wilson, Nafisa Collier, Ariel Atkins, Arike Ogunbowale, Brianna Turner, Julie Alamond, Marina Mabry, Tira McCowan, Bridget Carlton, Natisha Heideman, Gabby Williams, Kitty Lou Samuelson, and Sophie Cunningham. So uh, a lot of those names were at or near the top of our list previously. So it's going to look a little different this time around, and I'm excited to kind of hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, basically half or so of our 25 from last year has graduated off the list and combine that with one kind of disappointing draft class a couple of years ago and one really exciting one last year. Um, I think this will be a pretty fun exercise. So let's get into it, Eric, if you let's get into don't it. have anything else to add uh, to the table setting here. We kind of tiered these lists here. So I, I want to start by asking you, how many players do you have in tier one before we name names? I had three players in tier one. And at first I had two, then I kind of expanded a little bit to tier three or, or three players in tier one rather although i think my first player in tier one is pretty clearly comfortably i should say the top player in tier one how about you interesting i also have three players in this tier and honestly like i seriously considered all three of them for number oh, really? one overall uh yeah it was it was really hard for me to 
end up kind of picking them. But uh, yeah, I mean, a head, a head and shoulders above number two, it seems like for you. Who do you have number one? I have Sabrina Ionescu as my top player overall, 25 years of age or younger. You know, I, there, there are a few things to say about this. Just in comparison to previous seasons, I think she looked a lot more explosive in year three which I previously considered to be a downside of her game. You know, she can definitely, you know, turn the corner or the pick and roll over the screen and just get past people off the dribble now. There are two kind of stats I like to associate when I'm talking about point guards, kind of look at uh, their usage rate compared to their turnover rate. Her usage went way up in year three, 26.8% from 21.6%. And she actually decreased her turnover rate by a pretty significant margin down from 22.4% to only 16% turnover rate. That's a really, actually a really good turnover rate. I know we kind of have been uh, critical of UNESCO's game, ball security, since she's come into the league. But by comparison, Courtney Vandersloot, who's commonly named as a top two point guard in the WNBA, has only recorded a lower turnover rate than 16% once. And Chelsea Gray, probably the other best point guard in the league, only twice. So that's a really solid number for turnover rate. And, you know, I mean, everything else about Sabrina UNESCO, I think we've talked about extensively um she can dribble well she can pass well she can shoot well she checks all of the boxes and what you're looking for in a lead guard that you want to hand the keys to your offense to you know she can do at least some of that at an elite level can she be the best player on a good team i think she can and that's ultimately like you said when we're starting off what are we considering when we are talking about players in this exercise moving forward you know unesco she's gotten better every year last year she was playing at a very very high level um, and I see no reason to expect her to not continue that development. Yeah, it's interesting. If you just kind of look at, you know, the baseline numbers, like she pretty much had the same number of turnovers per game, like turnovers per 36 minutes, stuff like that. Those numbers are pretty close. But when you are able to slightly decrease that as she did and way increase your usage, like I, I'm not sure people realize like Sabrina was one of the higher usage players in terms of the number of shots that she kind of had to take for this offense. Uh, she maybe was not number one in, in usage, but you look at just like uh, field goal attempts and, and stuff like that. And obviously she's a, a value added passer as well. So for her to kind of decrease the turnover rate, keep that turnover uh, per game numbers pretty similar while really kind of increasing the usage in her offense, uh, in this team's offense, I should say, is is pretty impressive. I think in this kind of player pool, there are two players who I could see, you know, if they really hit their high upside being the best offensive player on a really good offense. And Sabrina Ionescu is one of them. I also have her number one. I should probably say that. Okay. Yeah, good. (laughs) Um, And, you know, part of that is that the top two players from last year graduated out of this list, but it's worth noting that like she did Leap. I only had her number four last year, and it was close between number four and five, and she leaped number three last year in, in Satu Sato. No, she got better. She she definitely got better. 55% true shooting last year. That was in just about the the higher third percentile. You, know, you probably wish that was like a couple points higher, you know, maybe 57% or something, but... Perhaps like surprisingly, given the knock on her after kind of a, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a rough second season, but, you know, a, a, an imperfect second season in 2021, you know, she was perfectly fine scoring from two for a guard at 48%, really, really improved her finishing from 2021. That was probably besides kind of like really cutting down on her 
transition turnovers, the biggest element of improvement, I would say, in her game is her finishing around the rim and her ability to get to the rim. How many and ones did she get? It felt like she recorded a ton of and ones. Yeah, she had 19 and ones, which was... That's um, a lot. Basically the second highest among guard players behind Kelsey Plum. So pretty good. You know, there were plenty of teams that did not have any players even close to that. So uh, very, very impressive number. And, you know, 37.5% on catch and shoot threes. I think the one area of kind of her offensive her individual offensive game that you would like to see improve a, a little bit more is the 28% on dribble jumper threes if that number can get to like 33% or, or something even you know not amazing but kind of average or so like now you're talking about a player who's really really dangerous from all three levels and she finished 60% in the restricted area up from 55% in, in 2021 so you know she she takes a lot of them seven and a half threes per 36 minutes while still getting to the paint for 35 percent of her shots like that that's a pretty good balance and yeah, for sure you know i don't think we really need to hit home too hard that you know she is probably the best passer on this list i would say you know of all the players yeah, i would agree about. yeah uh, not a lot of you know premium i think there are some pretty good point guards that we're going to talk about but not a lot of like premium initiators from the point guard spot well you, of, you talk about value added passing she's for sure for sure the most value added passer on this list you know there's a lot to talk about with the defense and maybe it would be good to kind of fold that conversation in with some of the players that we'll talk about below sabrina inescu uh ryan howard spoiler alert is probably gonna be yeah, pretty high on this right. list as well and a much better defensive player but you know if it could just as a defensive player if sabrina can just be kind of like regular bad instead of like actively harmful i think you know she's probably never going to be like a positive impact defender but you know there's there are degrees to being a bad defensive player and if she's on kind of the the middling end of that you know then this is definitely a, a player that like you said can be a one one a type of player on on a really good team i think and you know here's what i have to say about that about the defense yes it is completely valid to criticize that area of her game i agree she's not a good defender and i agree i don't think she'll ever be a good defender or a positive defender but when that is the main criticism when you're talking about just how good she is offensively i don't really care about her defense you know i mean i shouldn't say i don't care but her offense is so good that like it far 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 outweighs what no, she's I'm with you 100, percent dude. Like, you know? elite offenses are what wins championships in the WNBA. Like, and if you have an elite offensive guard, and I don't think Sabrina is an elite offensive guard yet, but I, I do think the upside is there for her to get there. And if you just have one of those players, like, if you can score at an elite level, you're, you're gonna, you know, go through the history of the league of uh, teams that are elite offenses and elite defenses. Like, you just have much higher championship equity being an elite offense than you do an elite defense. Very well said. Very, very good point. Okay, so we both have Sabrina Ionescu at number one. Who did you have at number two? Um, I did have Ryan Howard. I see Ryan Howard probably a little bit less of a player who can be the best player either on offense or defense on like a an elite offense or an elite defense. Mm -hmm. But you can easily see her being like the second or third best player. And I think the thing about Ryan Howard that she does have over Sabrina Ionescu is just malleability like there are no players in the league that i think ryan howard could not play next to no matter what position they were playing you know that's a good point as evidenced by her red hot start shooting the basketball to a rookie campaign um just in the month of may alone she shot 42.6 percent on 6.8 three-pointers per game i mean that's that was clearly unsustainable and i think it kind of masked her inefficiency from two-point range but you know 
she takes a lot of jumpers off the dribble, which is, you know, it's not that great. But yeah, like the three-point shot was is clearly there, clearly translated. She's got the size on the wing. There aren't too many players who are of the same build that Ryan Howard is. And the defense for a wing player is very impressive, particularly her ability to help on defense. You don't really think of many perimeter defenders as, you know, good weak side rim protectors, but Ryan Howard can definitely do that as well. You know, she just has a, such a, a unique skill set. You know, sure, maybe the jump shot will wax and wane because of how many uh, dribble two-point jump shots she takes. But man, I mean, it's her overall impact as a rookie was was pretty impressive, I think. And I think for the level of kind of initiating that she was tasked with and the shot profile that she kind of has, um, and honestly, you know, the the rest of the talent around this team, like for her to still be over 50% three-point attempt rate, I think is very, very encouraging because you yeah. can definitely see that being more in like the high 30s, low 40s, and a lot, lot, lot of her shot diet coming from you know, long two. And a lot of it did come from long two, obviously, more so than like in the paint, which is a little bit concerning. But for just as like a foundational piece of her offensive game, over 50% three-point attempt rate is, again, very, very encouraging because, you know, not all of those are catch and shoot. Like a lot of that is coming uh, off the dribble. She's not necessarily a stationary shooter. You know, they, they run a lot of stuff for her to kind of get moving off the ball. She's a really good transition player, both getting herself out in transition and initiating the break as an outlet passer really like her as an outlet passer, especially when you combine that with her defensive playmaking. Like if you can just turn defensive plays, you know, stocks into, you know, easy transition points. We, I think the thing that, you know, you're going to see a commonality in, in this first tier for us probably is three players that are massively valuable in transition here. And, you know, Ryan Howard, I, I don't think she's an elite, you know, ball handler, I think she's a good, I agree, a very good passer for like what her role probably should be on an offense. You know, she's, she can really dime people up and she can make just about any pass, especially, you know, she has some great like hook passes to the opposite corner and, and to above the break when she's, you know, driving towards the baseline and stuff like that. She, she has a pretty good passing bag and she's for a player who takes as many threes as she does, you know, she will definitely turn down a good shot to you know, get a teammate a, a great shot, which I think for a player already kind of where she is, is very encouraging. You know, it's not something that's going to jump out, you know, just kind of making one more pass. It's not like a wild pass. It's maybe not even what, you know, we would talk about as a value-added pass, but it's still, you know, turning what might be a 35% shot into a 40% shot. And I think, you know, she, she can definitely be like a connective player in any offense. For how often she was used in the pick and roll at Kentucky, I was a little disappointed that Atlanta didn't really use her that much in the pick and roll as a rookie. Maybe it was just to, you know, keep her plate from being too hefty, if you will. Um, but I, I think they should, you know, in the future, take advantage of that passing ability because, again, like I said, she's what six foot one, six foot two on the wing. She can pass it a lot better than the vast majority of players that size in that position. Um, and I think that might be something they're going to invest in later on. You know, as a rookie, I think she was mostly. I think her jump shot was. Taken, it was certainly taken advantage of. Like you said, they, they ran a lot of plays for her um, moving without the basketball. But with the ball in her hands, I feel like she was more of a play finisher than a playmaker. And that's kind of where some of the inefficiency came from. You know, we talked about she took a lot of dribble twos. Maybe not her rim frequency wasn't as high as we would like it to be, particularly because she's a bigger wing. Um, but that is, I think, the next level of Ryan Howard's game is that pick and roll playmaking for somebody else. And that is right now. 
I think maybe the one thing that is keeping her from maybe being the best player on a good offense is, you know, she's not... I really hate the term not making her teammates better because she clearly does, but she doesn't have the ball in her hands as a playmaker, you know, where I can I can say that. You know what I'm saying? And I think I'm more confident in that element of her game coming around than, like, her turning into a player kind of all of a sudden who's just, like, putting massive pressure on the rim with the ball in her hands. Like, I'm just not sure she's ever really going to, you know, get to the rim that often as a scorer, which... She's not super explosive. She's not super explosive, and she's not... She doesn't really have a lot of, I would say, shiftiness to kind of make up for a lack of just, you know, raw explosiveness. Like, she is not Nalissa Smith in terms of her first step, and she doesn't really have... She obviously has, like, a great handle for, you know, a three or an undersized four or something like that, but she's... You know, she's not getting to the rim like that, I think. And, you know, obviously any any player can kind of, uh, the, the sky's the limit for anybody, but it, it's really hard for me to see her getting to that level as, you know, just in that individual element of her game. But, you know, I think we should talk a little bit more about the defense because to just say that, like, Ryan Howard is a better defender than Sabrina Inescu is just, like, a massive oversimplification. Like It's definitely not one-to-one. It's <laughs> one-to-zero, you know. Yeah. Um, she's great. I think she's actually better off the ball than she is on the ball. I, I think so too, especially right now. Like I kind of hope that she continues to grow as an on-ball defender, but she, you know, should be a very good on-ball defender at some point, guarding probably one through four. You know, maybe not keeping up with like the very quickest point guards. Like outside of that, she's already shown us promising moments switching against fours. Like she um, has stoned, you know, some pretty good players in the post. You know, maybe fours that are kind of on the like. The undersized size or like not power posts, I should say, you know, people that Natasha Howard, Natasha Howard. Yeah, thank (laughs) you. Um, You know, players that are not going to like put you in the goal, but good scorers from the post. Uh, She has like the size and the wingspan to compete. And obviously, you know, she just has great size for whatever, you know, especially if she's a three and her ability to, as you alluded to before, you know, come over from the weak side and make plays at the rim. It's just going to make building your defense so much easier when you have a Ryan Howard type who can make those type of plays. And, you know, if this team wants to, I think Cheyenne Parker probably had the best defensive season of, of her career last year, but, you know, it, it, and if they want to kind of continue building towards, you know, having Cheyenne Parker, like she's, you know, more of an offensive star than, you know, a defensive playmaker. I so, agree. You know, having a Ryan Howard helps. And that's the case for kind of no matter who is playing the, the big positions. And, you know, we don't really know like what the, the future of the backcourt on this team is going to look like. So to just, you know, have a player like this who you you know is going to kind of be able to shore up the back line a little bit for at a position that, like you said before, you, you're you not necessarily kind of shooing that in from threes across the league. I almost feel like Ryan Howard's size is better leveraged as a defensive player than it is as, as an offensive player. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. Um, she's, I mean, because of her ability to challenge with verticality and um, you know, make plays at the rim in a way that she doesn't really, because obviously it's a lot different, you know, she doesn't really make plays at the rim all that often as an offensive player. Exactly, so. exactly. And she's not the type that's going to like post up a smaller three or something like that. So right, yeah, right. I, I definitely think that you're right. Um, Shall we move on? Well, I, I think I just kind of want to wrap this up by saying like, you know, like I said, Ryan is also like the easiest player probably on this list to fit in with other elite players. You could you could slot her in with any elite team right now and she would play 32 minutes a game, you know, uh, kind of. Regardless. She doesn't need the ball in her hands to be effective, but, but she, she could can make plays it. off the ball on defense. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess like Ryan is not higher on this list because I, again, I don't really see her being the 
the best player on an elite offense could probably be the second best, but it feels like, you know, you just look at like, you think about like who the third best player on recent title teams are, you know, one of Vegas's guards this year, probably either Plum or Chelsea Gray, Kalea Copper, Sue Bird, Emma Misamin, like it's a really high bar to be the third best player on a title team and let alone the second best player. <laughs> yeah. And Howard's upside is, is probably on the higher side of that list, but you know, without the ability to to reliably put pressure on the rim. We're talking about a player who can shoot the heck out of the ball and is a good passer for what role she would play on an elite offense. And, you know, obviously is, is a really great defensive player, but I, I don't think necessarily I'm all that uh, high on the ability to just like really drive elite offense on her own. Okay, well said, diplomatically said. Would you like to talk about Nalissa Smith, who I had at number three? Okay, so uh, three for three so far. Yes. I, I really wanted to have her higher. I got to be honest with you. I am super, super high on Alyssa Smith. I kind of wanted to like come in with, you know, a take maybe, uh, but, you know, I, I would have been lying. I, I would not have been truthful, I guess, in, in kind of my evaluation. It's all right. Third is still good. Third is very good. And, you know, she is, I would say, still in, in tier one. I think there's probably over a 50% chance so that each of the players we have higher on this list just end up being better players, but... I think she does have the highest ceiling and the lowest floor in in this tier here. I think I would say she's the only player on this list that I could see having any kind of real MVP upside, I think. Interesting. Okay, I'm not sure I agree with that, but let's uh let's start from the top here. Why is Nalissa Smith why is her ceiling so high? Well, I think undoubtedly she's the only player of these three that we're talking about, you know, this is this is tier one we're kind of comparing her to. So she's the only player in this list that can like reliably just get by her defender. Like she needs, I mean, she is forcing defenses to rotate. Like she just has that first step. Like she can blow by her defender. She can leave them in the dust. I don't really think, you know, I think you and I are higher on Sabrina's ability to, you know, get to the rim and stuff like that, you know, than maybe the... Um, the general populace. Yeah, the, the least in good faith portions of... Uh, online discourse here where, you know, she can't get by anybody. I, I don't think that's the case, but Nelissa Smith can definitely get by anybody. I, I think she can, oh, yeah. you know, she, you know, get by you off the dribble. She can kind of uh, rise up over you. Her physicality to just get to and finish at the rim, 60% around the rim, 15 and ones for a rookie. Obviously a good amount of that is coming in transition. So, you know, you can kind of say, well, she's not getting to the rim in the half court that much, but those transition possessions are super, super valuable as well. Especially when you consider what position she plays. I mean, she's going to be beating just about every individual matchup on the floor. Yeah. So I think what it kind of comes down to, you know, she can score in isolation, the mid post face up game, you know, driving from the top of the key. I'm really excited about her as a pick and roll player. I mean, I don't really know when they're going to get somebody that can play. They didn't run it, though. Well, like, I mean, yeah. Who would you run it with? You know what 12% I mean? 12% roll man frequency for Smith. That's That's got to be higher in the yeah, future. It's got to be higher. I agree with you. And pick and pop is something that might wax and wane. But as a roller, you know, just getting momentum downhill to the rim, I think she can really be a special player there. There's a lot of ways where it just might not work out to the, the highest level that it could. But just how she's able to... Uh, get to the rim with both explosiveness and with strength you know she can already put defenders in the goal like just completely use her body to move them out of the way and you combine that with her her elite quickness I would say for her position you know her efficiency was kind of middling I think a lot of that is you know 
youth. Obviously, she's a, a rookie on a bad team with probably not the most complimentary talent around her. And uh, she was oddly a very, very poor free throw shooter. You know, if you just kind of normalize her free throw shooting to what she shot in college, her efficiency looks a lot better. But, you know, offensively, aside from creating for others, she, she kind of does it all. Like she's 8% offensive rebound rate. And that's like the fifth best thing she does. And she was in like the 74th percentile. So, you know, I, I think she can just really be an elite offensive player, at least in her own offense. For me, this is very simple. She is too strong for quick defenders and she is too quick for strong defenders. When I first saw her play in person against my beloved Sky, it was a problem. She's a problem because uh, Chicago had nobody who could match up with her individually speaking. And when you have a player like that, like you said, who's constantly putting the defense in rotation, you don't really need, you know, need is maybe a strong word, but you don't need her to be shooting threes um, because she's still getting wherever she wants to go and taking whatever shots, shots she wants to take. Unfortunately, during her rookie season, um, too many of those shots were, were dribble jumpers and they were on bad efficiency, just over 55 or 0.55 points per possession. So that's, that's not good at all. I think that kind of drove her true shooting down. It was, it was below 50%. But I don't know, in her prime, I could see it hovering around like 58, 59% on good usage because she's just such a good play finisher. You know, I think her transition frequency is about 16%. I think that could go up. That could go up again. That's a good number though. It's a good number. It's a good number, but I think it could get even higher. Uh, and I think the pick and roll, roll man frequency could get much, much higher once they get guards who can actually run a pick and roll. Um, the one thing that I think sealed her deal at number three, at least below Sabrina Ionescu and Ryan Howard, is that historically speaking, uh, play finishing bigs who are the best players, because that's what we're talking about, the best players on their respective teams, right? They're also usually good defenders. You're not thinking Neko Gumake, Sylvia Fowles, something like that. Nelissa Smith still has a long way to go on defense. And she wasn't really a great defender in college either. She She's one of those players who could just out-athlete opponents, if I could put it that way, and just block shots because she's so long or just block shots because she's so athletic. She, she can kind of make up for her own mistakes. She can make up for her own mistakes, of which there are many. Um, I think she her discipline defensively has a long way to go. The light bulb may take a little longer to go off on defense than it does on offense. Like next season on offense, I could see her just having a monster season when she kind of figures it out, when she, when she maybe turns a few more of those dribble jumpers into drives to the hoop when she realizes that, hey, nobody's stopping me. But and, defensively, and there's a little bit more attention towards the other big on the floor as well. Who, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, probably won't be Queen Agbo <laughs> next season. But yeah, um, really, really high on her play, fin- her play finishing potential. I think you put it very, very well. Physically speaking, she's she's a beast and uh, pretty darn high ceiling, I would say. I think, you know, some of the, not knocks, but areas of opportunity, perhaps, you know, she was in the sixth percentile scoring out of the post, which, you know, for a, a big is kind of concerning. Okay. But I don't really see her, like, I don't think of the back to the basket stuff as like what I want to see Nelissa Smith doing well anyway. You know, It's like, who cares? She's much more optimized as a face-up player where she can kind of use that explosive first step to blow by her defender or get a shoulder in you and and create that space so you know it would be nice to see her be able to like post up smaller players obviously more more reliably but i don't think that's like the element of her game that's going to make nalissa smith special necessarily does nalissa smith need to be a good post-up player in order to be a good player period no uh interesting splits though on the right block, she had 20 points on 21 possessions. And on the left block, she had seven points on 20 possessions. So it's not like it's completely lost. She obviously does 
uh, does it well on, on one side of the court. It's just, it was a struggle on, on the other side. But, you know, definitely I would like to see her, despite what I just said, develop a left hand a little bit. Like you saw her kind of using the wrong hand a lot, particularly in transition sometimes. You know, she was just pretty much is always just going to go up with the right hand. And I mean, the percentage was good, Eric, from three. But like, what do you think about her as a three-point shooter? It, it's quite a mechanical, I don't know, man. Like, shot. Like she took way more in her first season than she did in college. Yeah, go ahead. When she missed, she missed. There were some very ugly misses. And I don't think defense is really respecting that shot at all. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you are dealing with such a low volume of you know, 97 attempts after taking 65 total in college. Like the misses, I, I think do matter a little bit. Granted, you know, she hit 38% of them. If she's always going to hit 38%, it, that's that's uh, obviously something defenses will be concerned about, but it takes her forever to get them off. It's not, I don't think the most consistent kind of release in mechanics. And well, when you're developing a three-point shot, the mechanics are inevitably going to look different than a mid-range shot, right? Yeah, of course. But I would say it looks similar to the mid-range shot, but it just goes a lot slower, right? You know, mm-hmm. she she can kind of just like rise up and fire from the mid-range where she really kind of has to load up and, you know, take her time, I guess, with the three. Okay. Is that all we've got for Nalissa Smith? Uh, no, I did want to hit on a couple other things. Okay, sorry. Um, go ahead. No, it's okay. 15 steals and eight blocks all season. Like, that is... You, you kind of need good. more from your... Uh, for um, a very, very valuable defensive position. I think like if she doesn't hit her, her what I see as MVP upside, like I can kind of think of her as sort of like what the negative side of or or the negative end of what people see Tina Charles as, you know, a player who puts up a lot of points, not the best efficiency, not really helping you on defense, not really making your teammates too much better. Like that was kind of watching her game and kind of getting into the statistical breakdown, like a comparison that kind of kept popping into my head a little bit. Like obviously Tina Charles is uh, a first ballot hall of famer, but kind of the tougher years of Tina Charles, I think is kind of what you could see it looking like if, if it didn't really work out for Smith. Do you think that's kind of way off base? Maybe I, you know, I don't think I'll, you'll ever see Smith being the kind of offensive hub that Charles was, you know, in her late New York years or her one season in Washington where she's she's getting those assists as well yeah Um, and like a historically high usage rate player as well yeah I don't think Smith will ever be historically high usage yeah that that's probably a good point I I didn't really consider the usage element more I guess just like the shot diet is kind of what I was sure 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 sure. um but yeah let's move on I think Melissa Smith can't wait to see her play out super high on her yeah she Um, rocks how many players did you have in tier two Okay, five players. How about you? Interesting. I had uh, two players. Oh, wow. And okay. Actually, you start us first because I kind of led the discussion last two. Okay. Um, this might be, I'm getting scared because I think this is my, this might be where we uh, differ uh, for the first time. I had Shakira Austin at number four overall. First things first, I think she was a lot better out of the box than I anticipated her to be, particularly on offense because, you know, when I watched her play at Ole Miss, uh, it was kind of, phone booth offense if you will her offensive feel for the game was like i had no idea it was that good uh she was third in the wnba in possessions categorized as cut and second in cut frequency 28.2 percent eric she was so good moving without the basketball so good so good Incredible. and that's like why i said when when you think about a typical college 
offense where your center is your best player, you're going to be seeing a lot of back-to-the-basket post-ups, a lot of slow-developing offense, a lot of possessions where you're going to have two or sometimes even three defensive players on Shakira Austin. So it was pretty tough to see that when she was in college. But when she was in Washington, like, like could you see, like, almost right away why, why Mike Tebow wanted this player relative to what he had already? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously a great fit. I mean, we can get into it a little bit more, but just also the way that Mike Tebow and the coaching staff used Shakira Austin, what they asked her to do and what they didn't ask her to do, I thought was just really, really great coaching. Totally agree. Um, I also had her in tier two. So I kind of thought about tier two as like, you know, possible like perennial second team all W players, like have a harder time than tier one, seeing them kind of landing on MVP ballots, like, you know, third or fourth or fifth on the ballot each year. Don't really see them as the best player on a title team necessarily, but obviously, you know, very, very, very good players. Like I said, second team, all W like, and the higher part of making the all-star team, you know, not necessarily like the last player in or something like that. And I had toyed with the idea of of putting Shakira Austin in tier one, but I didn't really kind of seriously consider putting her above any of the other players in tier one. So for that, like that to me meant that she's more of like a tier two player. Like if, if I didn't really kind of have a hard time, you know, putting her below Melissa Smith or Ryan Howard. Like I thought those players were kind of comfortably ahead of her. So. I agree. But I, I think, and what sort of limited me to that is like, what do you think of her kind of star upside as an offensive player? Well, I'm not sure how often she's going to be shooting the basketball. And, you know, I mean, if you look at her efficiency metrics, they were great. 57.6 true shooting percentage. free throw rate that's very good but again I almost wonder if that's if this efficiency and and, and this isn't a bad thing if that came from the shots that she wasn't taking rather than the shots that she was taking you know is she ever going to be this player who can go out there and get her own shot like Melissa Smith can like Sabrina Ionescu can like Ryan Howard can to a degree I'm not sure you know I I don't think a Shakira Austin centric offense is going to be a very good one is that kind of where you're going with this? Yeah, basically. And I think, you know, the next version of this Mystics team after, you know, post Elena Deladon and maybe post Natasha Cloud, that's probably like what they're going to be looking for out of Austin, you know, a little bit more self-creation, a little bit more posting up. So I, I don't really know how that's going to go. But if you recall, Eric, before the season started, I, I kind of had a, this thing that I had said about Shakira Austin that she was probably going to be a pretty bad defensive player until the moment that she was a great defensive player. She was a good defensive player pretty early. Yeah, and I I do think, uh, and this is not to take anything away from her, but I do think a lot of that was kind of like what they did with Shakira Austin, how the Mystics kind of coached her, because uh, a lot of the time— they would play a drop coverage. You know, if it's Elena Deladon, if it's Elizabeth William, they're playing a more conventional coverage, which is, you know, more of like, a, I guess, kind of disciplined. You know, you kind of have to know where two players are at the same time. Like it's it's more, it just requires more discipline. And with Shakira Austin, like she was always playing a more aggressive style of pick and roll. Like they were usually hard hedging. They were trapping. Like they were having her make plays at the point of attack when she was put in pick and roll. And I mean, I just thought that was an awesome use of her and she played it really, really well. She was a great stocks player, I thought, and really caused chaos when she was kind of, you know, put at the point of attack, basically. She was also a really good rebounder. I mean, she was top 10 in both offensive and defensive rebounding, rate. You know, I like bigs who can do that. And, you know, the way that she also 
played offensively, it really kind of seemed like, you know, there were games where she was like, you know, feeling her shot a little bit. She was kind of doing a lot offensively, maybe taking one or two more, um, you know, post touches than, than probably the coaches would have had drawn up. But she was very, very efficient uh, and over a point per possession posting up because she didn't do it too often. Like she was not trying to post up elite defenders in the league, but was willing and able to punish mismatches down there. And her overall offensive game, you had mentioned the cutting numbers, like she finishes so high. She has great size and length, obviously, but she also has, you know, really great extension on her finishing. Like she's finishing above truly elite centers, you know, Sylvia Fowles and the like. She's so, so good at finishing both hands. I I can't believe like some of the lefty finishes that she has, you know, off balance, kind of catching it and spinning it and finishing it all in one off-balance motion, and she is one of, I think, the rare players, and we have kind of in the past talked about this with Jordan Canada being a, a similar player who is, she's providing floor spacing by standing outside the three-point line, even though you don't need to cover her, you don't have to worry about the jump shot because she's just already one of the best players in the WNBA, moving without the basketball, finding the space within the defense to just catch and finish and unlike Jordan Canada she's you know extremely tall and has great length and can finish over anybody so it's actually a lot more valuable when she is the one that's you know cutting with intelligence and intention shading behind her defender before cutting or waiting for that extra step for the defense to shade before kind of getting her momentum um it was I think honestly probably the most impressive and and fun element of her game to watch her rookie season was just you know, the way that she could kind of find those little seams in the defense and and finish, um, you know, off of a feed. I'm so glad you brought that up because I read the other day a quote from J.B. Bickerstaff, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers head coach. He was talking about Jared Allen, their center. Um, He's also really good on offense because he does kind of the same thing. Bickerstaff said he creates space for opposing bigs to make tough decisions, either stop the basketball or give up a dunk, or in this case, you know, a layup. But um, for bigs who don't shoot threes, he said something like, was it was the term vertical spacing i think it was you can still take advantage of that space or almost create more space than there actually is because you're moving so well without the ball and you're you're allowing those opportunities to basically present themselves and i thought that was a really good analogy to draw with shakira austin because offensively she was really good at that exact sort of thing you know i do have to say the free throw shooting has to improve it does four players over a uh, hundred free throw attempts and under 65% shooting. And unlike one of those players, Nelissa Smith, who also really struggled, Shakira doesn't really have the college track record of, you know, acceptable free throw shooting. She's kind of always been a poor free throw shooter. So, you know, that's something late in games, I'm sure that that teams will kind of focus on. But I think I can, I can easily see Austin being the best defensive player and, you know, maybe the second or third best offensive player on a really, really good team. Uh, but, you know, in a different way than maybe kind of traditional back to the basket, yeah. Sylvia Fowles types. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, where did you have uh, Austin? Because if you had a number four, I'm assuming you would have said so. Oh, no, number four. Sorry. Well, I oh, okay. I, I did mention that I had kind of considered her in, in tier one, but she was yes, number four yes. for me. So okay. um, I guess I'll go to the, the last player in this tier for me. It's a, a kind of a shorter tier. Satu Sabali, a player I think I'm a little bit less excited to talk about this time than than I was last year, but mostly, yeah, you know, because 2022 was kind of a lost season for her in the WNBA. Remains to see be seen if she'll 
go overseas this year, but you know, we're, we're three seasons in and she's played 57% of her team's games over the course of those three seasons. So really I had, all right. I, I might've math wrong. I had 44 out of 90, which is less than half. Oh, I had 48 out of 94, but I did playoffs. count the playoffs. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, same thought process. Um, she's not durable. It's been a variety of maladies. I love that Popovich quote. Um, it's not, it's not been one recurring thing. It's, it's one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. And it's, starting to get concerning but you know they are i don't know i i really hate like calling a player injury prone and stuff like that you know oh, me too she had a concussion in the bubble i believe but yeah so she she only played 11 games this year she missed 13 games after being put back in to the game you know maybe she shouldn't have been put back in but so i mean it's not like i don't know a player who is like suffering a knee injury after knee injury and, and stuff like that you know obviously no injury is any player's fault but you know, when you are not breaking 500 minutes in a WNBA season a single time over three seasons, like, you know, I guess it's it's fair to be concerned and it's fair to kind of wonder, you know, if, it, if it's ever really going to come together for you. But I guess I don't really feel any differently in terms of like the type of player that I think Satu Sabali can become. I just feel less confident that she will end up staying on the floor enough to get to that level. And even if she is on the floor, you know, she... Obviously, with playing so little of the the season, you know, she was a great pick-and-pop player in, in 2021 and didn't really get those opportunities last year. It was a much different roster construction. By the time she kind of came back from her injury, the, the team was pretty Tierra McCowan-centric, I think, on sure. offense. Rightfully so. Like, Tierra McCowan was dominating. She played very point. well. Um, but not a player that I think meshes with Satu Sabli's game particularly well. So, you know, we're, we're definitely going to talk about this with another player, but... Uh, a player that I am really hoping kind of gets reinvigorated with the uh, the new coaching staff in Dallas and hopefully can, you know, show some some new things defensively, hopefully playing like a much more aggressive system and, and stuff like that. To be honest with you, I don't really think she's ever been, a you know, an actual plus defender in the WNBA, like a decent playmaker, not necessarily a bad defensive player, but not really someone who's making a huge difference for you on that end. And it's been pretty theoretical up until this point. I, I think so. Um, and you know, she's kind of, in my opinion, best used as, as a center guarding maybe smaller centers. Uh, I re- recall a game where she closed that center against the Liberty, not this past year, but, but last year, you know, she can hang with, with those types of centers Natasha Howard and stuff like that. Um, but even me with, with me being down on her a little bit, like, it's extremely easy to see her being a very important part of a good team. So I don't know. I didn't want to kind of be too harsh, I guess. And I do still, I think, comfortably like her ahead of just about every player. Maybe there's one player below her that I think has a pretty good chance of, you know, being better than her. Okay. First of all, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. I've been, you know, I've been 10 toes down for Sabali when we've done this exercise previously. So it kind of hurt for me to put her at six which is obviously still not bad, but um, a couple things. We mentioned the games played, and you could interpret that any way you wish, but the other thing is I don't think she just has really taken that leap that other players have on this list have done. I, I know, don't think there's play- a lot of like individual elements in her game where you can say she's gotten better She's gotten so much X. better, yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, the, the jump shot is still kind of shaky. The defense, you know, obviously she shows glimpses of being a really good off-ball defender, but it's like, who is Satu Sabli shutting down defensively? And also, you know, I, I went through her game log. Um, and we saw the games like May 24th. She played 13 minutes. She fouled out. She recorded no stocks. 
July 1st, she shot one for five, six turnovers in 16 minutes. You know, by the time you're in your third season and you are, let's be honest, an elite talent, those games should be far and few between, you know, where she's not only not really helping, but actively hurting the team. Previously, I said I would, you know, absolutely, without a doubt, start a team with Satu Sabali. And now I'm not too sure. And not only am I not too sure about that, there are several other players on this list I would definitely take before her. You know, can she still be the best player on a good team? Maybe. But if we're going back to when we first started doing this exercise two years ago, I'm no more sure about that now than I was back then. Maybe, and maybe a little less, honestly. Maybe a little less, yeah. And, and that's and that's the thing. You know, this isn't, not every player on this list is equal. For someone who is as talented as Sabali is, that's that's actually probably a detriment, right? Still have her at number six for me, but uh, this season is going to be, like you said, it's going to be a key one for her. All right, who's number five for you? Who who do we skip over? Okay, I think this is uh, this might be a little high. Um, I had Jackie Young at number five. I wanted I wanted to guess, but I didn't have the card. Oh, you didn't want to guess? Okay, all right. Um, so last year I had her at number sixteen, <laughs> which is pretty uh, pretty bad in hindsight. So she's the highest riser on my year by year list. And this year I also had her at like number eight or number nine. I'm like, do you really want to do that, Eric? No, um, I think she's earned this. Uh, she went up to 43.1% on 3.4 three-point attempts per game. And that's pretty darn good for someone who basically was ignored from beyond the arc in her previous few seasons. And her dribble jumper was awesome too. You know, she took it 65.8% of the time and normally say, eh, not a great shot. But she was in the 86th percentile in points per possession on dribble jumpers. I remember a few years ago, I think when we first did this exercise, you said one of the, first, one of the things that Jackie Young needs to do is just become a better three-level scorer. She's a good three-level scorer now. You know, there are no really weak areas of the floor for Jackie Young where defense is like, nah, you go ahead and take that shot. I don't think she's ever going to be the primary option on a good team, but her value when we're talking about this specific exercise is still a lot higher at this time than it was last year. You know, she's more of a finished product than I think a lot of other players on this list are, so it's a little difficult to kind of equate the two. But right now, she's better than what I think a lot of players on this list would become which is why I'm ranking her at number five. Yeah, she. I think if you said that Jackie Young is the best player right now on this list, it would probably be hard to argue. I will say, you know, you mentioned the much improved three-point shooting, 40% from three on three attempts per game. There's basically been 29 instances in the four seasons starting in 2018. So 2018, 2019, I didn't count the bubble because it was very shooter-friendly. Uh, yeah. There were a lot of instances in 2020. Uh, but 2021, 2022, basically four players did that more than once. So it is a lot to ask for for that level of shooting to carry over. And, you know, if it goes down to like 36 or 37% next year, I'm not going to be surprised. Yeah. And, I mean, hey, that's still really great, especially if good, you're putting yeah. up over three attempts a game. But basically, you know, all I'm saying is that, like— Jackie Young might have seen some statistical outliers in her outstanding 2022 season, like probably not a given to shoot 40% from three, probably not a given to shoot basically 50% on non-paint twos every season. I mean, hey, she did it last year, so you got to give her credit and and the aces are not going to kind of be where they were probably without her, at least the dominant force they were in the regular season. For me, also the biggest riser on the board, I had her even lower than you, Eric. I had her 20 last year. Um, I still have her a little bit lower than you this year. I had her at number seven, but becoming a capable and willing 
three-point shooter is is really all it took, right? There's not all that much difference in her game other than... And she did it, like, overnight, too, which is so impressive. I mean, she was empowered to do it by a good coach who... Well... Values the extra point you get from shooting behind the line. Um, And it worked out okay for them. I do think, like, you know, I'm not 100% certain that she's, like, completely squashed her playoff demons. Like, I, I... she was still, you know, kind of getting down in, into those later rounds. You know, she did have that one. Obviously, she won them one Storm game. She had a pretty good, uh, another good game against the Storm. But it definitely felt like she was a little bit more hesitant to fire away at times uh, against Seattle and against Connecticut. You know, I agree. She was down to 16% usage in those, in the second two rounds, or, or the final two rounds, I should say. So that's notable. You know, it's not everything, but it is notable. But she's still a positive impact player on both ends. Definitely a plus defensive player. You know, probably what you would call maybe like a 3 and D plus. Because she gives you a little bit more self-creation. She gives you a bit more playmaking than you could expect from like a a 3 and D player. But, you know, she's not going to be your lead initiator, like you said, Eric. But, you know, we've kind of passed the point of good lead initiators, right? We're we're probably not going to talk about too many of those uh, again. So if you can get a player who's going to be you know, maybe like the third or fourth best player on a truly elite team, you know, one of the better teams we've seen over the last few seasons, that's that's a pretty darn good player. And, and Jackie Young, I think, definitely checks that box. So I had her number seven. I had her in tier three. So this is kind of the point where we're our, our tiers are a little bit different. This is, you know, what I would call like a solid all-star or like a low-end all-star, you know, probably not making a ton of all-W teams but you know maybe one or two here and there i guess i should talk about the player that i had in between sabley and and jackie young number six uh i had a walk queer really yeah still okay um i think a walk is probably the only player in this tier that you know this this tier three for me that i think could just never get to the point of being a last two rounds of the playoffs player right like there's Mm-hmm. still a long long way to go and i'm you know loath to call this like a make or break season for a walk because she's you know it's only going to be her age 21 season basically a college junior but i think this is where we're kind of hoping for some really really big strides from her both as a defensive disruptor where you know she she does have good block numbers right she's you know not it's not like she's not really doing anything out there you can still kind of point to like her one WNBA skill that she's She's definitely going to do well, but I think we need to see strides in her conditioning. We need to see her not be like, honestly, probably one of the worst offensive players in the league, but I guess I'm still just kind of buying the upside, right? She's a pretty solid shooter. Basically, anytime she's not in the WNBA, you know, all of her overseas <laughs> numbers are, are pretty good. You know, for with Rayer, she's, you know, pretty solid. I, this was a few weeks ago, but she's, you know, 23 of 46, which is not amazing, but, but she shoots a much higher proportion of her shots from three overseas than in the W. So I don't know. I, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, you kind of thought maybe there's a chance of her being like this this initiator, someone that handles the ball a bunch, someone that creates, MVP level type offensive player. Obviously, you know, she has really great athleticism, can can flush it pretty easily. I don't really think that type of player is, is going to be there, but I think a world where a lot queer wins defensive player of the, of the year and in a few years that that's still realistic. And, you know, if that player can just make layups and hit 35% of her threes, like that's a pretty valuable player. I think, I mean, she ranks second in the league in block percentage with next to no fundamentals. 
So if she is, you know, once she develops that feel for the game and, and those fundamentals and, let's face it, better coaching staff in Dallas, she can't definitely be a positive defensive presence, very positive defensive presence. I'm glad that you ranked her uh, number six because I had her 11 and I thought that was high. Um, I'm still holding on to my stock because, like you said, you know, she was only 20 years old uh, last season. And let's be honest, probably behind the development curve of most of these other players. But she did have a consistent spot in their rotation, which you couldn't say when she was a rookie. And she had far fewer moments, I think, of her just not seeming like a WNBA player at all, which is, of course, very faint praise. But once again, 20 years old. I mean, there were just uh, moments in her rookie season where she just looked like she didn't belong. and Lost. Yeah. Totally lost. Those, those moments, like you said, were a lot fewer this year. Yeah. Um, she's still extremely raw offensively, but that turnover rate was not disastrously high like it was when she was a rookie. Free throw rate was almost exactly the same, 36%. That's pretty darn good. But the three-point rate kind of took a nosedive, so I, I'm not really a fan of that. I think, you know, one thing that I'd like to see from the Wings with Queer uh, next season, assuming she's still on the team, I'd rather see her in positions to attack closeouts and or three-pointers rather than operate like in the low post or kind of flounder around on there where she's just at a huge strength disadvantage. Like, yeah, she's got those long arms. She can shoot over people, but she's still pretty much getting bodied around down there. Um, I think she'd be much better used offensively if she is... Behind the three-point line, well, first of all, she's got to hit her threes. You know, that's that's obvious. But I think she's, with that, you know, with those long strides, she can attack those closeouts better. Or, or it'd be a more efficient play, rather, if she's attacking those closeouts and or shooting threes rather than, you know, trying to turn around 15-foot jump shots. It's just generally not a very good shot for her. Yeah, I, I, I do think. think, though, you know, ideally, like, both do have to come around because you don't want to be able to just, like, put a guard on her defensively. Oh, sure, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, because she's basically just camping out, you know, you don't want to have to treat her like Ileana Repair or be able to treat her like Ileana Repair. She's got to get stronger, though. Uh, she does. You're, she definitely totally does right. have to get stronger. Another thing, like, she's able to defend on the perimeter probably better than the vast majority of players with her lateral quickness because of her amazing wingspan. You know, she can just really play far back, not allow the blow by and still contest pretty good from from pretty far away sure. on a jump shot. So I think that's something that, that you really have to like. But I, I, I agree with you. Like, she should not be just, like, kind of hanging around the dunker spot waiting to kind of cut to the basket because she's she's just not going to be able to finish those at a very high rate. Um, and she's just too skilled. Yeah. She's easier, too, easier yeah, in some she, other way. She should be able to kind of do a little bit more. But, again, this will be her age 21 season. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot more room to grow. She's four years younger than Jackie Young. You know what I mean? So... Um, that's basically kind of a, a whole contract worth, basically, uh, rookie yeah, contract worth. So, but yeah, I mean, if you wanted to say that, you know, I, I am unrealistic for, for having her above, you know, Jackie Young and some other players that will get to you. I, I totally get it, but I do think there's a little bit higher level of an upside that she could get to, even if it's a very, very unrealistic path. Okay. So moving on to number seven, I believe for me, right? That sounds right. Yeah, seven. I've done right. one through seven, so who's This is where we always start to get lost, and it turns <laughs> into a mess. But anyway, um, I had Ezzie Magbiger at number seven, um, another very toolsy big. Uh, she's now ranked fourth or higher in the WNBA in block rate in all three seasons. So we're, that's pretty consistent stuff. Offensive rebounding rate, this is interesting. It kind of fell off a cliff in 2022, but, you know, a different role. I don't see any reason why it can't get back to top 10 levels again in the future like it was in the previous two seasons because... Another player who is, you know, really long, really active, just gives those second and third efforts on the glass. She was excellent in the pin roll, 93rd percentile as a roller. And people forget, 
people might forget. People don't talk enough about this, Curtis. But she was maybe the leading defensive player of the year candidate before the Storm acquired Tina Charles and basically sent her to no man's land in their rotation. I think last year my main concern was can she handle starters levels minutes throughout the course of a season? And I think 2022 said yes, she can. She can handle that. Um, I don't think she has the offensive ceiling of like an Alyssa Smith or even a Shakira Austin. But if she can at least, you know, continue developing those, you know, left-hand finishes uh, around the rim and continue to be that good role threat, combined with her offensive rebounding and her defensive prowess, Ezzy is going to be a very valuable player for a very long time. Yeah, she is the highest ranked player of mine that, that we haven't talked about. I had her number eight. Okay. You're right. The following, she was 4.2 falls per 36 minutes and obviously increased minute workload for at least some of the season, played a lot more than previous years uh, and was able to, you know, stay on the floor more uh, in those minutes and and not suffer falls, uh, which was a concern for her for sure. But my biggest concern actually with Ezzy coming into the this past season and even early in the year was her finishing around the rim. And I thought she was awesome. Like she, she really improved her finishing throughout the year. She had the highest uh, points per play as a pick-and-roll roller of any player with at least 30 possessions, Eric. That's a huge improvement. Uh, 1.25 points per possession rolling to the basket, over a point per possession on cuts. Uh, very, very good finishing off cuts. Maybe want that like a little higher, but but it was fine. It was perfectly fine. And then over a point per possession on no dribble jumpers, on spot-ups. Over a point and a half points per possession on transition. All the things that you want an Ezzy Magbiger to do as someone who plays alongside Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart, she did exceedingly well offensively. And as you mentioned, she was the leading candidate to win defensive player of the year. So, um, you know, maybe I should have her a little bit higher. I think the offensive upside is a little hard to see her kind of developing much more than it is at, at this point, you know, I... Yeah, but at this point, it's still good, like you said. It is for very, a player, good, very good. But yeah. probably, like, you know, fourth best offensive player on a really good team, right? Sure. And a player that does not really um, space the floor, unfortunately. I think we both kind of want to see more of Ezzy as a shooter. Like, it's kind of surprising how often she stands out there and how infrequently she actually shoots. Given the Look, you, you know what I say about big shooting threes and being called a stretch big. Like we need to see it a heck of a lot more. Yeah, you need to actually kind of shoot them and, and, and make them. And Ezzy, you know, uh, I don't remember the number exactly, but a surprisingly low number of three point attempts last year. So you know, would like to see her her transition volume climb as well. Like I mentioned, her high points per possession, but Seattle was basically completely reliant on Jewel and Stewie in transition in terms of like the actual volume. Want to see her take those three-point jumpers a little bit more, you know, just catch and shoot, fire away. I think it's questionable of me probably to have her eight and a walk a couple spots higher when Ezzy is, you know, basically a player that can play in the last two rounds of the playoffs right now and and a walk, you know, would probably struggle to get minutes there. And I, I think I have to kind of ask myself, like, how much stock can you put into ceiling when one of the players is basically already actualized and is an extremely high productive sure, player. You sure. know what I mean? But yeah, like, I don't know. She's, I think when you're just kind of talking about having, you know, I, I mentioned over a point per possession, over a point and a half per possession on some of these very valuable elements of, of what a play finisher should be. But even still, like you just kind of look around like what, what really wins championships and it's being able to play five out. And I think that's, that's tough to do with 
Ezzy Magbiger. So, you know, she's probably always going to be a little bit of a, a paint-bound center, always going to be a little bit of a play finisher. I think that just kind of limits, you know, what you can do in some cases. Like, when mm. you don't have Brianna Stewart, you know, what does Ezzy Magbiger as your starting center look like? That's a valid concern. Uh, let's keep in mind, for those pick-and-roll numbers, she, has a, she was in a pretty good pick-and-roll environment. Obviously playing next to Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird. So now that uh, at least half of that won't be the case this upcoming season, we'll see if she can keep those efficiency numbers afloat or if she kind of takes a hit there in, for, in terms of uh, pick and roll finishing efficiency. But And uh, I guess one one other kind of point of comparison between her and Awak. And again, right now, obviously, Ezzy is a massively better player than Awak Quare. But, you know, basically n- neither of them really shoot the ball well at the WNBA level. But Ezzy basically is not shooting at all for Sopron and Awak at least flashes yeah. it overseas, even if it hasn't translated yet. So, you know, maybe that ends up meaning nothing at the WNBA level, but it was kind of part of the evaluation here. Okay, that's that's fine. That's fine. Who do you had at number eight? I had Ezzy Magbiger, so it's, it's your turn to go again. Oh, my turn. Okay. All right. Uh, this is where I was extremely unsure, but I just decided to take the plunge. Uh, I had Kennedy Carter at number eight. I felt like she had a really bad 2022 season, but then I looked at the stats and I'm like, well... You know, her rate or per minute stats weren't much worse than in previous seasons. Um, she actually led the WNBA in usage rate for the second season in her career. Uh, first of all, we're going to start with what she's good at. She's an extremely skilled pick and roll guard who does things with the basketball that I think most other guards simply can't do. Um, she's also really adept at setting up her teammates. You know, she's going to draw a lot of fouls, driving the rim off the pick and roll, but she's a good playmaker for others as well. You know, she can maximize her teammates in the pick and roll. She's got the ball in her hands very often whenever she's on the floor obviously but the main question is still can she drive an efficient offense on a good team one of the main talking points for kennedy carter that we uh, talked about in the past was can we see her driving efficient offense can she be the best player on a good offense or however you want to say it um her on off splits in 2022 were somewhat negligible i think the sparks were like one half point better with her on the floor than they were off the floor or something like that so pretty much negligible right so, but once again, we're kind of entering the point where it's like, if we're going to see this, when is it going to be? You know, I mean, her offensive talent with the basketball is undeniable, but we haven't really seen much progress um, in addressing any of her weaknesses, which is, of course, poor shot selection, maybe getting kind of tunnel vision going to the rim a little bit. Defensively, she's got, I think, a ton of lapses, and I'm maybe a little overly critical of Carter in this area, but it just se- seems like she's what you would call a won't defender rather than a can't you might disagree with that but no um, no i i agree with you you agree with that okay yeah and that's after how many head coaches like that's that's not acceptable you know not seeing much improvement here i think this is going to be the whole last the last hurrah for kind of saying okay kennedy carter is the future of this position you know when are we going to see it but yeah i've got her number eight because once again i think the talent is just too high to pass up but I, i i can't put her any higher than this and i'm starting to have major questions about you know what her role is going to be moving forward for whichever team she's playing for. Yeah, so so far, basically, aside from me having a walk a little bit higher, we're, we're player for player because I have Kennedy Carter at number nine, the highest okay. player of mine that we haven't talked about yet. I'm and Anything to add to that? I mean, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that you are still so high on her because, you know, I just feel like I'm always a little bit higher on, on Kennedy. You know, I initially had her at like number nine or number 10, but then I looked at those other players. I'm like, uh, if this exercise is players we'd rather have moving forward, I can't justify this. Yeah, and but, if you're um, kind of, you know, I, I mentioned before that we probably are out of players that are kind of lead initiators, you know, kind of forgetting that we hadn't got to Carter yet. She is obviously mm-hmm. like a player who, if everything goes well, can be the best offensive player on a really good offense. 
you know, you mentioned she is an extremely uninterested defender, but I, I really just value players, especially guards, especially guards who, I guess, players who can get by their defender and finish at the rim. And Carter is so, so incredible at doing that when she actually is playing WNBA basketball. There's obviously a lot of, you know, other stuff surrounding Kennedy Carter. I think the fact that like Jordan Canada started over Kennedy Carter and, you know, was a player who got a protected deal. On a one-year deal. On a one-year deal, protected under six figures. Like, I think that does kind of speak volumes to what she's bringing into practice every single day, probably in a lot of ways. But, you know, she just has these moments where she does things that other players just could never in their wildest dreams do on a basketball court and blow by elite defenders, finish over elite centers as a guard, she shot 65% in the restricted area. You know, you probably hope the shooting came around a little bit more. She only took 10 threes total last season, and it really, really feels like she does not seem... She That's going the wrong way. Yeah, it's going the wrong way. It feels like she doesn't really feel too comfortable with that shot. You know, no two attempts really look the same for her anymore. She takes forever to load up on the shots. She was overall 19 for 55 on non-paint twos and on three-pointers combined. So as a jump shooter, you're starting to get pretty worried, you know, maybe into Jordan Canada territory. But like guards in this league who can actually get to the rim and, and finish over size are not a very common player archetype. And she did have 10 and ones and, and fewer than 400 minutes. But I think, you know, worth noting, like she's not really the elite playmaker for others that you would kind of hope for. You know, she has led the league in usage in the two seasons that she's qualified for it and is pretty close to a one-to-one in assist to turnover ratio for her career 4.2 assists to 3.9 turnovers per 36 yeah. minutes last season like there's just not a lot of separation there what has she gotten better at um i mean it, it's hard to say for a player that basically doesn't get to play well then you're asking why is she not playing you know I, i'm not going to get into that but um like i said i think this is going to be the last time we kind of say yep she's the future you know this is She's going to be the one. It's like, well, we got to start seeing some some progress here. Eric, what was um Kurt Miller's reputation before he got the Connecticut job? He loved playing the pick and roll. Maybe, you know, maybe <laughs> he's got maybe. a pretty good one. So we'll we'll see. He's, he has shown the ability in the past to get the most out of players at the WNBA level. Maybe not recently, but he's yeah. This is a pretty darn good pick and roll player. Will, but again, how many coaches has she been through now? So he's got a, this is an, this is interesting though. This is interesting. We'll see. Uh, she's definitely one to watch this, this, this upcoming season. So that's, that wraps up my tier three, but you have one more player uh, in tier two. Is that right? No, 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 no. I'm done with tier two. Oh, okay. Got it. But you're still on Kennedy at eight. number nine though, right? I'm at number nine. Yeah. Okay. That will do it for part one of our 25 players. 25 and under this episode went long enough that we decided to break it up into two parts we're wrapping up part one going through my first three tiers and my players one through nine and eric's first two tiers and his players one through eight and also discussed a walk queer who he had outside of his top eight a little bit lower than i had next week we will pick up the conversation we, where we left off Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric 
at Nemchak E or myself at Trinkwald. And you will hear from us next week.